Welcome to Let's Talk Memoir, a podcast for memoir lovers, readers, and writers. I'm your host, Ronit Plank. A note before episode four begins that there is just an ever so slight little echoey sound here and there throughout the interview. We don't understand what happened. We are trying to get to the bottom of this mystery, but I promise that the episode is completely listenable too. And with that, I hope you enjoy episode four with Ellen Blum Barish. Today, my guest is Ellen Blum Barish. She's the author of Seven Springs, a memoir and views from the home office window. You can find her work in Brevity's blog, Full Grown People, Literary Mama, Tablet, and the Chicago Tribune. Many of her essays have aired on Chicago Public Radio and have been told on storytelling stages around Chicago. Ellen founded the literary publication Thread, which earned four notables in Best American Essays, and has taught writing at Northwestern University, where she earned a master's in journalism. She works privately with writers and teaches writing workshops on essay collections and memoir. Welcome, Ellen. Ah, delighted. Nornit, I'm totally <laughs> delighted to be here. I'm so happy that you're here, too. And, you know, this is so interesting because I would love to dig in right away about the idea of essay collections and memoir and your thoughts about, you know, a collection of essays as memoir. Do you, do you think you can talk about that a little bit? I mean, I think of myself more as an essay writer than memoirist. And it was uh, really, as I wrote Seven Springs, what got me through was thinking like that, was breaking it down into smaller bits because I tend to have a shorter breath with writing. I tend to have, you know, being trained as a journalist, it's sort of, I have word count in my head and I have pacing very much in my head and probably a little bit of old school, how long does it take to read an article in a newspaper kind of a mindset. So whatever it is for me, I believe each writer has a different sort of length of breath in their writing. And mine tends to be on the shorter side. So it helped me tremendously to think like an essayist as I was working and trying to find a structure from my memoir. And I think of it to some degree as a memoir in essays, meaning that each chapter feels relatively complete, you know, that it could stand alone if it had to. I love that idea because it's not something that I considered when I was writing mine. And and actually, why don't we, we'll, we'll toggle between these two questions, but can you share a little bit about your memoir for people who haven't read it yet? Absolutely. Back in 1972, I was 12. I was getting a ride home from school with a friend, a classmate's mom, and her sister, and her, and we were in the back seat. It was 72, we were unbuckled. And literally four or five blocks from my house, this is in uh, the Philadelphia area, we came to a stop at an intersection, and then we started back up again. And a Mack truck came out of what felt like nowhere and hit us, and the car uh, had, two impacts. One was by the Mack truck, and then we were sort of flung uh, to the other side of the street where we hit uh, a stop sign. So there were two impacts to this very, very pretty tragic, terrible car accident 
that left me being the only one really able to walk out independently. I was very, very lucky. The mother who was driving uh, never did walk again. She was relegated to a wheelchair after that. And my classmate and her sister had underwent all kinds of um, surgeries and such. So there was, it was a terrible car accident is what it was. And because it was the 70s, in part, and because of sort of family dynamics and such, it really wasn't discussed after that. You know, once we got home and everybody, you know, I looked like I was in one piece. My my only issue was I had lost a front tooth. So I was very, very lucky. And so I didn't look on the outside like I had much damage and a tooth is a tooth. And so, um, but my friend was in the hospital in a coma and, uh, you know, her, her mother never walked again. So, but there was really just this relief in I was home safe and just no discussion. So over the course of uh, decades, frankly, I, ex- I explore in the, in the memoir really the ramifications of, of being sort of covered with a blanket of silence, which is all meant uh, as basically as protection. It came from our community and our family as protection. It was here, you know, here's this cozy blanket. Let's just quiet you down and let's not discuss it and move on. But it has ramifications. So the arc of the storyline of the story takes place between two high school reunions. Uh, When at our 20th reunion, uh, we meet again. I see this classmate with whom I certainly knew and we graduated together as seniors, but I sort of didn't speak to her very much. My parents basically said, just don't talk about it. And so I kind of kept my distance from her. And we found ourselves sort of walking toward each other and the, the subject came up again and we realized how we had never spoken of it. And it opened up, I would say, a very good Pandora's box. It, you know, it opened up old <laughs> stuff, but it was good that we opened it up and it took till our 40th high school reunion where we met again for it to sort of fully resolve the questions that we had and sort of our, our healing and certainly sort of the mysteries were sort of becoming uh, more solved by then. So it's a 20 year period over the course of seven springs, which relates to the fact that the accident took place in spring. Mm-hmm. And do you, you know, when you were a journalist you know, I'm really curious about this too. When you were a journalist, did you ever have an inkling that you would write memoir? Oh goodness, no. <laughs> As journalists, maybe I know you come out of that tradition too, right, Ronit? Well, not officially. I just kind of got my feet wet and got some articles published. But, you know, I, I started as an actor and then as a fiction writer. So, I, I yeah, I, I don't have official training as a journalist, but I do love to interview people. Oh, gosh. Okay. Because I've seen your, obviously, your articles have been published in all kinds of places. So, I've, you've, uh, yes, yeah. you've shapeshifted many times over since then, which is great. <laughs> which is great. Use those skills in any possible way that you can, right? Yeah. Well, I ask that because, I mean, you know, my understanding, my limited understanding of a journalist's life is that you're not in- including yourself very much. And again, my ideas can be old fashioned. But to think that you went to school for journalism, and then you're writing this memoir, and I always find it interesting, because I feel like, aha, the memoir is going to get you. <laughs> <laughs> you're absolutely right on the mark. We were literally taught never, ever put the word I in any of your work. And I went to a, a journalism school where they literally gave you an F if you did that. So no, it was absolutely kicked right out of the training. We were we were not we were we weren't supposed to be anywhere in our stories. So it it was 
really writing a monthly newspaper column for a parenting publication many years later when I became a mom and I was writing about raising my daughters um, and I was editing this paper out of Toledo, Ohio, that I was urged to write personal tales uh, about being a working mom and raising kids and all that that involved. And that parlay, that's what the first book, uh, my first collection is a collection of essay, essays that started out as newspaper columns. And that was because it was, it was an assignment. Ellen, here, mm -hmm. here's a column for you. We'd like to get your take on being a working mom and raising daughters and all that that involves. So that was the invitation. Mm -hmm. And then frankly, mm -hmm. once I got a taste of that, mm -hmm. I, wow, did I, I, yeah. Did it take a while to, to transition? Did it, was it hard to knock? So like after knocking the I and the me out of so much of your writing or just avoiding it all together, did it take you a while to incorporate yourself in your writing like that? Yes, very hard. I was constantly using attribution and sources, and I had to have <laughs> editors say, we don't need the sources. You're the source. Feel free to speak from your heart. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and were you like, well, you mean that's all I need is my opinion and my experience? That's enough? That took a lot of untraining. I had to untrain. I had to unlearn all those things in journalism were taught, which is, oh, you can't say anything if, unless you have three people signing off on that fact, or you have to say where it is you got that idea. But this idea that truth can come from experience and it can be articulated also beautifully and, art and artfully. Oh my gosh, that totally, just, oh, I just was mesmerized by that idea. And then I, what it did is it deepened my love for writing. It wasn't just about reporting and, you know, being clear in my sentences and, you know, just having, uh, being strictly a communicator of, you know, a translator of events and things to other people. It became much more about storytelling, but also more literary. And that had my heart. And so it really was after my book of um, essays was published that I moved uh, very slowly into the personal essay form. And, and that's when I did some writing for various lit pubs that you mentioned at the opening. And with each of those became, with each story I wrote from my memory or from my life, I got stronger and more bold and started to uh -huh. see the power in pulling stories from our lives to turning and turning them into artful, you know, complete stories that actually sort of uh, had a, a very strong hand in helping me understand, take more meaning from them. Mm. And then mm -hmm. also sort of an, certainly offering up, uh, I mean, there's nothing better to me than listening to a, just a well-articulated story that also has poignancy or some sort of overarching universal theme that other people can relate to it really began to appeal to me deeply mm -hmm. yes and and it's it's very validating too to remember that our stories are just as important as sourced stories right so you're also a memoir teacher and coach and I'm wondering and this is probably a complicated question or complicated answer but if you had to sum up a little bit could you talk about what comes up a lot with the writers that you work with let's think so many things um I find that since my memoir has been published, because it's about a childhood trauma, this is something you understand too quite a bit from your memoir, uh, you know, having a story from your childhood and on, I find that the people who are finding me to work with me are people who have had 
either some kind of trauma in their life or a mystery they want to unpack or a puzzle or some sort of adversity that they want to write about. And so that's that's who find me. It's just sort of the nature. I think it's just understandable. They must have either written, uh, read about me or read the book or resonated with the work in some way. So those are who are showing up. A couple things they show up with. Uh, One is, how do I get this huge story from my life onto the page? You know, where do I even start? So a lot of people are coming with, oh my gosh, I don't even know where to start. Some people are coming, um, returning to writing and saying, I wrote when I was young and I'm older now, wiser now, I have perspective now, I want to leave legacy for my, my family, or I want to share my story to share it with the world. So they're returning, but they don't know about how to structure it, because structure is so hard. And to me, when I found the structure of the Seven Springs, it helped me get my memoir, uh, pull together a structure for the memoir, which literally was my go button. I mean, it was, I struggled for so long. I don't know if you did too, but I struggled so hard and long about how do I, I knew what I wanted to say. I knew the scenes, you know, it was just, how do you stitch them together? Like a beautiful quilt. What was the way I wanted to put them together? Hard, right? So hard. Well, the structure for me is like, I want to, for me, I want to not be so, you know, caught up on the structure. I want to be able to just write and create without the structure and let it happen naturally. But I'm such a, an organized person in some ways that I have to have the structure in some ways to feel free. So it's almost like I'll run around like wild in a room, but you have to give me the, the, the pens, the wall pens. Like I have to know where the walls are. So I know how far I can run. I can't, you know, I just, I feel better and more secure if I know where the edges are. But I also try to remember that sometimes you just have to write even if you don't have the edges, right? So how how do you help people find the structure? It's a lot of, it's such a good point you're making. I always like to use the idea of uh, piano chords and piano notes. You have to know the notes and the chords before you can kind of play the symphonies, right? You kind of have to have yeah. some kind of structure. So so it's a lot of talking, to be honest with you. A lot of, um, I call it a lot of circling around the pool <laughs> and mulling and, and thinking and also maybe even some starts that feel like false starts. You know, it's really, they, some, some people find that they write their way in. We have a chat and they tell me the essence of where they, what the story is. And they're really looking for me to sort of pull out a small thread and say, okay, here's a writing prompt based on what you've told me. Start here, you know, start with that scene you just, you just mentioned, just write the, a five minute scene. It really is about breaking it down into very small pieces, which has served me well. And most of the people I work with very well, you have to break it down. It's too big. It's too big of a job, to, especially a trauma story. It's big. So you have to break it down into as small pieces as you can. So sometimes people start with scenes. And so I'll give them assignments, you know, basically basically writing prompts. Write about this, write about that. And then they have a whole, they've amassed a bunch of pages with a bunch of different scenes. And sometimes they can see a thread that runs through it. Um, sometimes yeah. they can't. And, uh, and then when I'm a fresh head, right, I get to read their work and sort of feed yeah. back to them. I say, here's, Hey, I see something. Did you, did you ever, you know, notice that, I don't know, there's a, there's a blue thread that's running through. There's something, there's a familiar item that pops up in some of these scenes, or maybe if it isn't an object, sometimes it's a, um, a sound of your voice. I, I tend to work with what I call Ellen's eight, essential elements 
of essay. <laughs> and I'm just, I'm just a stickler for a good old, I love alliteration. Those eight elements, they help me with the, the conversation about this is at the micro level, scene, detail, language, and pacing. And that's on the, on the sentence level. And then on the macro level, it's storyline, structure, theme, and voice. And then, and then we have, now we have vocabulary. And so then we can talk about, okay, what's already working really well in the, in your work, in your, on your pages. Well, you're doing a great job with scene setting. You're doing a beautiful job with these well-selected details. Oh, the pacing is great. And you know, the language is great, but maybe it's all about, oh, you're jumping around in time and storyline. So maybe you want to play a little bit with uh, going back and for forward and changing the time frame. I think other eyes like your eyes on this, you know, an editor's eyes or a coach's eyes are so important because when you're sitting with the material after having lived through the experience, it can be really hard to pick out what needs to stand out the most and where you might be lagging. And, and again, you know, as you're talking about all these really brilliant elements that you're you're making sure are at play. And I love a good list. So I love alliteration and I love a good list. So I appreciate what you just offered. I think also that the container for your story, right? Like a memoir is a discrete amount of time. It's not, you know, for me, I had to figure out when to end my story because it could go on forever, right? Like I'm an adult now and I still have a relationship with my mom. So how do I end it? So I opted to end mine the second time my mom left when I was 14. Of course, there's so much more that happened, but for this particular book, this is where it ends. And so I think that for me, once I figured that out, I was, I could breathe a little bit more. Yes, that's absolutely, that was super helpful for you. Cause you're right. Cause the story doesn't end. I mean, you, you're right. You have an ongoing relationship. The best definition I've, I've heard about a memoir versus like an autobiography, for example, is a, an autobiography is the story of a life and a memoir is a story from a life. And so the idea, and this is why I'm very focused on the word thread, and it's why I named my literary publication Thread, is the idea okay. of, you know, a memoir is to find the thread. And you and you, you were looking for certain themes, I suspect, that, went, that you wanted to, to highlight and shine a uh, light on um, in your memoir um, that, took, that took a slice. You wanted a slice from your life that, that really okay. maybe an exaggerated look at what all that time meant to you and all the dust that came up and all the, you know, the drama, frankly, the stuff that was the yes. most dramatic, the most powerful, right? So you're right. It's, it is about, um, and that I would say would be another thing people come and sort of struggle with, with writing memoirs, exactly what you just said, which is where do I start? Where do I end? And a lot of it is, is deciding on the thread. The, the, the yeah. story from the life, not the whole life. We don't need everything. We just need the part that shines the best light on the themes you're trying to highlight in your story, which you, which, which I believe is a good thing to know a little bit about when you're going into it. Yes. And I think that's where other readers are so important too. I, I mean, I, I just think that it's so hard. It's like an echo chamber when you've been sitting with a story for a long time anyway. But with memoir, I think it, it really helped me to have other people reflect back to me what they saw. And you kind of answered my question because I was going to ask you, you know, what what is a tendency you see? And actually beyond trying to figure out the structure, do you feel like there's 
a more often than not element of memoir that is confounding for people who come to you or that you find difficult for yourself when you're writing memoir essays and memoir? Is there something that always kind of gets to you that you really need to spend more time figuring out besides structure or is it varied? I would say the other biggest thing that that most most writing students who come to me or writing clients come to me um every we all trip over it i'm sure you did too which is the uh-huh. oh no how do i write about people i know or love who are in this memoir and without hurting them um or shining a light uh, uh that, that they didn't want shine you know lit that just uh-huh. comes up all the time it's just and, and I guess that's good. It's human nature to for us to fret about that kind of thing. And that, I would yeah. say, is one of the things that's unique about memoir, right? If you're a novelist, you know, because uh, do you write short stories? Yeah, I, I, yes, I've written short stories and I have a novel in progress, yeah. Yeah, so the, the I, you know, this is from my perspective, since I've never read, written any of those genres before, to me, that, that sounds... What sounds wonderful about that is you don't have to worry about this piece <laughs> at all. You don't. You can just character can be an amalgam of three people yeah. you know, and you can give them a totally different name, and nobody needs to know what where it's coming from in your in your heart or your subconscious or wherever. But yes, when it, with a memoir, even if you do change the name, and even if you do change some of the you know the scenarios in which they some of the identifying kinds of characters often people just know and it's problematic and a lot of people have to walk through I had to walk through that piece of it too uh, and just be comfortable and be and feel like the the pull to get my story on the page was was most important and frankly more important than the possibility that I might hurt a feeling and so I had to come up with things to do about if I did hurt hurt the feeling but I, I had to be okay inside, at peace with. If that were be, to be the case, I need to be okay with that. Yeah, and I think that sometimes, I'm really glad you brought that up because it does come up quite a bit. And I think, it's, uh, I've heard a lot from people that sometimes you can just block out the end result and, and what's going to ultimately happen with the writing. Just write first as if no one's going to see it. Just write what you need to write and block it out a little bit. And then deal with it later. And and a lot of different memoirists have different answers to this. Some will say, and, and I know you're familiar with this in, in writing groups, some will say it doesn't matter if, if someone hurt you, if they didn't behave well, you know, that whole quote. Um, it's, they're t- tough, you know, tough. You get to write your experience. Other people will say they're just not comfortable sharing stories like this until those people from older generations are gone. It just really varies. It's like a case by case, I think. And I think, I I personally, as, as I think I've mentioned, and you know, I, I shared my story with my loved ones first, but that was my personal choice and that there's no one size fits all. Mm-hmm. Yes. I would say I, from in my perspective, I think it's a two-parter. I think the getting it down on paper is so important for a writer who's burning to tell a story that she- that he or she's burning to tell, that she just must tell. Um, and so I agree with you that the pushing aside of the possibility of response should be absolutely set aside because you need to get that down and having their voices in your head or a picture of their faces when they're reading the story is not useful to you. Absolutely opposite of useful, right? So that's the getting it down. But then you're right. Then what do you do with, then you have a manuscript, right? Um, and I gave same kind of th- thought to sh- should I show the book to certain people prior to publication or what stage? And so I, I sort of made a, a series of decisions. Some people I did show the manuscript to 
in earlier drafts. And then I waited for a few others in later drafts because I too wanted to make sure that everybody at least had a little bit of a heads up before the book was out, mm-hmm. out in the world. Um, and that, mm-hmm. that decision worked for me. It actually worked out um, some of my worries didn't come into, I didn't need to be worrying about it. <laughs> it's very interesting. Oh, what we yeah. worry about might not even, you might be surprised about what you worry about and what does not come to pass. Well, that also kind of reminds me, it just kind of emphasizes for me again, to just get into your little writing bubble, you know, when you're creating this world and trying to get your story out, at least for the first time, and just try, if it if it really matters to you to get your story out, just, you know, out of your system, I mean, just try to pause on the outside reaction. Just try really hard to compartmentalize, at least for the first draft, you know, and then you can figure out what you have and what, what you might share. Beyond all this, is there something that is challenging for you in your own writing that's different from what we've discussed already? At this point, um, this story took a long time for me to write. So I would say, uh, having written it, I actually feel such an incredible amount of relief and release and personal healing um, that it's kind of right from where I'm sitting right now, it feels very good. So from that's, but that's very unique to this particular story that I wrote. As I'm moving forward into what will I write in the future, I'll be quite frank and say, I'm not so sure what's next. And so um, as someone who's written her whole life, I feel a little out to sea. (laughs) Um, I I realized that when you work on something very intently, I worked on this book um, for decades, really, but very intensely for five or six years. And so I'm now trying to look for new projects too, which I am finding eventually. But I, um, I, you know, now I, I need to go back. It's, it's an incredible experience to just throw your whole self into a writing project. And so my concerns right now are what other projects could I feel that way again about? So that's a, that's something that's on my radar right now. I'm trying to figure that out at this point. Right. And I know for writers, it can be, that can be a very disconcerting feeling when you think, where's my passion? What do I want to do? Where's it, where's it going to come from? And so I feel the same way, like, what do I care about? You know, and it does eventually wash over you and you figure it out. But I have had those feelings before, like, can I even write anymore? Yes. It, I mean, it's funny that that line <laughs> of you're only as good as the last thing you wrote or, you know, yes. you know, that worry that will I ever again. But the truth is, I don't know if you feel this way too, Ronit, but I, I really identify my self-identification is as a writer and writing teacher for sure. But I almost feel like if I'm not writing, I'm sort of not breathing properly. You know, I really, yeah. it's so, you know, it's so part of my day. And, and so um, it, I, I almost feel like a little bit like, like, who am I? if and when I'm not writing. So there's a little bit of a, I'm having a little bit of an identity crisis here, but I, I know it's momentary and I have faith because I always come I, I always come up with another thing. So I'm just in that place uh-huh. right now. That's that's what's front and center for me right now. Yes, I think it happens to so many people. We, we chose this life, but it's so funny how, how much it can cause angst, right? In our final few minutes, I was wondering if you could share a couple of titles of your favorite memoirs. I would be happy to. I have a collection that I've been keeping. I have some favorite memoirists and then some favorite memoirs. Um, I would say the first memoir or one of the early memoirs that I fell in love with was Maya Angelou's I Know Why the, the Caged Bird Sings. That was one of the early ones that I read. And then I love The Diving Bell and the Butterfly. Oh, I love that 
not one. I love both of those. So, so Maya Angelou's was my first one, and I love the Diving Bell and the Butterfly. And did you also see the the film? The film's yes. also very good. One of those rare things where the book and the movie are both excellent. Yes. Um, so those are yes. great. Of course, Joan Didion, The Year of Magical Thinking. I love love Danny Shapiro. Inheritance was wonderful. I really loved that one, and I love Abigail Thomas. What comes next oh. and how to like it uh, and mm-hmm. safekeeping and then oh goodness I have a whole long list it depends how much how long you want it why don't you why don't you give me two more you know but this is awesome okay these are great these are I literally I go back to them and back to them I would say the next up would be oh Diane Ackerman wrote a beautiful book called 100 names for love about her husband who had a stroke who um, she helped sort of heal and he was a professor of English and he wasn't speaking or writing for a while but now but then he was able to write a book you know years later so that's a beauty and then Ann Patchett's Truth and Beauty is a beautiful Mm -hmm. book about writing and friendship and women's friendship did you read Did you read um, Autobiography of a Face? Because that's about Lucy Greeley, right? Yes. That's what took me to Lucy Greeley's book. That Ann Patchett's mm-hmm. first. I read that one first. So, yes, that's another really good one. Yeah. That's like a buffet we just had, and we just didn't even make it through the whole table. <laughs> There's so many memoirs to talk about. That's great. I hope people will write down the ones that sound intriguing. Is there a piece of advice that you'd like to share with memoirists or, or writers in general to conclude your episode? Oh, let's see. I would say if there's a story that uh, is either haunting you or hovering or just you just won't let you go because you know when there's something nagging at you that just won't let you go. I just can't say enough how strongly strongly enough to to it's like a little child tugging at your pant leg saying, please pay attention to me, please. And it's, I think there's a begging there. It's, it's, some, it's a knock. It's, a, it's louder than a knock. I would urge you to just go to the page and not worry so much what it ends up looking like, sounding like. Everybody always is so worried about it. It's not good. It's not beautiful. It's not poetry. I would just say, go to the darn page and, and, take, and, <laughs> and put it down there. Get those words on there. And then you might be surprised in the writing itself something might hit you when you read it back over the next day or in the process of writing it in that moment, you go, I didn't ever know that before. I hadn't thought about it in just that way. I'm so, yeah, I'm very big on that. The process itself is um, illuminating and full of personal discovery that there's no downside to just starting. Mm, I love that. I love that. Ellen, where can people find you? Where would you like listeners to search for you? Uh, easiest to go directly to my website, which actually is getting a new facelift in a month or two, but it'll have the same URL. It's my name, ellenblumbarish.com. And that's one R with the bearish. So it's uh, B-A-R-I-S-H. And on it, you will find um, some freebie takeaways too. I have a four-page PDF that's downloadable that's free about Ellen's eight (laughs) essential elements of essay. I decided to put it into a PDF (laughs) format and make it available to people. And so people can download it. I just thought, why not? I I I had a blast writing it. And then I have another one called Writing Your Marker Story, which is a belief I have about finding that little uh, seedling of a story that you know is there that either haunts you or just follows you around and um, prompts to kind of get started. So those things are free on my website and downloadable. And then you can see um, links to 
things I've written and my books and also my, my workshops as well as my coaching stuff as well. Great. Thank you so much for being my guest. I really love this conversation and there's so much to dig into. So I just, I could talk to you forever, but I guess we have to say goodbye now. And thank you so much. A delight. Thank you so much, Ronit. An absolute delight to talk with you today. Thank you for tuning in to Let's Talk Memoir. For more about this episode and my guest, please visit the link in the show notes or on Instagram at Ronit Plank. That's R-O-N-I-T. P-L-A-N-K. You can also follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok. If you liked this episode of Let's Talk Memoir, please go ahead and share it with your friends and subscribe. And if you have two more seconds, you can rate and review it on Apple Podcasts, which really does help other people find the show. Thank you so much for being here.